0: I have a question for you. Have you ever been in a storm, like a personal storm, not a physical storm, not a tornado or hurricane, though that's pretty bad too. But if you haven't been in a storm, you're either in one right now, you've been through one, or the bad news is you're headed into one. Right? There's only those three. There's only where it's been, Where you're at right now, or unfortunately, there's something coming to us. So there's a fallacy that's causing people to leave Christianity, to leave God. And that fallacy is that once you're a Christian, you'll never have any trouble anymore. And when they have trouble, they think there must not be a God. Isn't that crazy? One person's calling it the Superman God. So you just think that I've got a struggle and Superman God's going to just, Jesus is going to fly in with his cape on and just oof, deal with all the problems. Well, that's not a true God. That's not an accurate God. That is a fallacy that has been made up throughout the years. But a lot of people believe that. So when you encounter a storm, you have one coming at you. You're in the middle of one. Or even when you're on the other side of it, you say, why in the world did I go through that storm? Because if truly there was a God, I wouldn't have gone through that storm. I want you to turn with me to John 16:33. Jesus is talking to his disciples in the New Living Translation. He says, here on this earth, you will have many trials, storms, and sorrows. But take heart because I've overcome the world. So, right there, Jesus is laying it right out that we don't even have to question it. We don't have to wonder what's going on. He's saying we will have trials and sorrows. But He has overcome the world. That means we can overcome the world as well. In Mark 4, verse 35, you've heard the story before. Jesus tells the disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So, verse 36. They took Jesus in the boat and started out and leaving the crowds behind, and although the other boats still followed behind them. Soon a fierce storm came up. The high waves were breaking into the boat and began to fill it with water. Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion, and disciples woke him up saying, Jesus, don't you care we're perishing? Now, again, I love to put the context in here of of putting yourself in the Bible. You know, that's my favorite thing to say. These are fishermen that Jesus brought to be with him. This is not their first day on the lake. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. If I'm on the lake, if I'm crossing with Jesus, I do not like water at all. So if it's doing a little bit like this, I'm like holding on and praying in tongues and just like, oh, you know, white-knuckling it for sure. When I was with Christ for the Nations and Signs of Love, we traveled to Alaska, and we went up the inlet from Seattle to uh, Alaska, and we ministered at all the different ports of call. And when you stand on that huge ship that took us through the inlets there, you could look down and it's like 100 feet to the water. It was so beautiful with the ice caps. and You saw some whales and their fins, you know, the picturesque things. You see all these beautiful things. But we hid the open waters for about an hour. And that boat was going from side to side. Not boat, ship. This thing was long enough that it took 18, 18 wheelers end to end, and there's six levels of that, plus all the things. This thing was gigantic. The thing was going side to side. Now, some of my fellow people in Signs of Love thought that was the greatest thing in the world, and started trying to see if they could run down the hallway without hitting the side as it's throwing them from side to side. Not me. I am not that person. I crawled into my bunk, and I pulled the covers over my head and said, let me just go to sleep, and it'll surely go away. But the waves were crashing over the sides, as this thing is going from side to side. That's crazy. That's not for me, okay? I think the biggest lake I could handle was Mr. Bruce's, okay? That's just about the most that I can handle is be out there on a little boat with him. But here these are fishermen. They were raised on the water since they were, you know, small, and they know all about it, and here they are scared. And, of course, you know the rest of the story that Jesus woke up and said, where's your faith? He spoke to it, and it you know, calmed down, and they marveled. And there's a whole lot more to that story. But the point of that story is just to say, Jesus had storms, and he said you're going to have difficulties. So why in the world would we not prepare for storms? No one wants that. Okay, That's like going to the preventative check up with the doctor and find out you got to start exercising and doing all this stuff. It's like, I really don't want to do any of that stuff. I'd rather just keep doing what I've done before. But it's necessary. So I want to ask you, how many of you have ever heard of the 23rd Psalm? Psalm 23. Everyone, right? I mean, it's like a, a staple. Probably the church you grew up in, there's a plaque somewhere that's got the 23rd Psalm on it. You may even have a pillow in your house with a crocheted or embroidered on there. It's on a poster somewhere. Okay, you've seen it everywhere. But the danger of that is it becomes Mary had a little lamb. It becomes a trite little story that we have. And we can miss the power that is truly in Psalm 23. So if you will, turn in your Bible with me to Psalm 23. And we're going to read through it really quick. And then we're going to break it down a little bit. So excited. Can't even help it. Psalm twenty three verse one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside the quiet waters, still waters. He restores my soul, he guides me in the right in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy, loving kindness, will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, As we start off in the very beginning of that, the first two words are the most amazing thing. The Lord, right? It's not a Lord. It's not a God. It's like, hope it works. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. The Lord is my shepherd. We were made to be a dependent people where someone is always leading us. There's stuff in the um, refrigerator back there, too. We're made to be dependent because someone is always leading us. Perhaps some other shepherd could be the one who's leading. Or for some people, I am my shepherd. I am the only one who's navigating my way. It's all about me. It's just I, I, It's all me. I'm, I'm my shepherd. Well, if I lead me, if I am my shepherd, if I call the shots, I'm the captain of my own ship then you can't count the rest of that verse that says, and I will want for nothing. I will want be in lack for nothing. You should say then, I'm a mess. Isn't that right? Because if you're the only one driving your ship, if you're the captain, if it's all just about you, then you're in terrible places. But let's look at, let's break down some of the words there. He makes me. Verse 2. Now people right away, they don't like that. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to make me do anything, right? Be like, I no, no, I don't like that part of it. But it's not that he's wanting to tell you what to do or make you do something because he wants to control you. It's because he loves you. It's because he has better things for us. He leads us beside. He restores my soul. He has a plan in mind. And he puts us on the right path. Verse 3 in the NLT says, He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. But who wrote this scripture? Who wrote Psalm 23? David, right? Now, David is not unaccustomed to storms in his life. Think about it. He was forgotten by his father when the prophet came to town. Can you imagine being that guy? That the prophet comes and says, we've got a great word. I've got a great word from the Lord, and one of your children is going to be the next king. Great, let's get them all lined up here. And you know the story. And he forgets him. And prophet, now, I love the prophet is really a prophet because he said, it's not one of these. A lot of times, prophet's like, well, it's got to be one of these, so, okay, it's got to be you. But he said, "It's it's not here. He goes, oh, yeah, I have another kid. Isn't that crazy? That's who David was. That's what he grew up with. When he faced Goliath, he faced him with a slingshot in one hand and a staff in the other. But the slingshot was so small that Goliath, this towering man, says, who is this kid you sent out here with the shepherd's staff? You're just going to come at me with that? But that shepherd's staff was something he had learned. And through his trials, he knew what was to do with it. He ran for Saul, from King Saul for 10 years of his life. He had a moral failure. He had a sun turn on him. He went through some terrible, terrible things. So when he says, Though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, that wasn't a figurative saying to him. Now today we say, I literally fell on the floor. Really? You fell on the floor? No, I didn't fall on the floor. I literally did. No, literally, David went through the shadow where he doesn't know around the next corner somebody's trying to kill him. Imagine running for 10 years of your life. You never can calm down at all. But then he goes on to say, and you prepare a place, a table for me, literally means that God will provide for me. Now think about this story of the three Hebrew children. We just glanced over it two weeks ago when we were talking about Daniel. But think about them. Here they are in captivity, they're doing the right thing. They're serving God like they're raised to do. They're working properly. They're doing all this stuff. And, and the king says, now you've got to bow down and worship this idol or be put to death. And they said, king, we love you and we're going to serve you, but we can't do that. That violates who I am. They didn't find, try and find a way around it. And it escalated and escalated and escalated till the king got so upset with them heated the furnace up seven times hotter, you know the story, and then ended up throwing them in. And I love their words, they said, to the king, though he slay me, the Lord, though he slay me, though this may not work out like I want it to, yet I will serve him. It wasn't a convenient gospel for them. They weren't saying, well, if it works out all right, if if I can keep it so the king doesn't know, I'll cross my fingers, like I said before, and I'll, I'll, I'll act like it. No, they were willing to stand up for God in a time where it wasn't really wonderful. Got thrown into the furnace. God didn't deliver them from the furnace. What do we pray for today when we got a storm? God, deal with Nebuchadnezzar. Just take him out. Cause the furnace to malfunction. Cause. To rain and pour it all out. cause all, We have all these solutions to prevent the storm, right? Isn't that what you do? Because that's what I do. Lord, I pray this doesn't happen. I pray this situation, please make this null and void. We, pray, we plant bad seeds sometimes and pray for crop failure. We just don't want to go through a storm because it's not fun. So there Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the middle of the fire. And the king, in all of his fury, goes and looks to check on him. And that fire was so hot that their bodies would just went poof, just like that. Not like it caught my pants on fire, but it's like just poof, they're gone. He goes and looks inside there, and he sees four men standing in the midst of the fire. Not consumed, not poof. And he goes, there's four. We threw in three, right? Take a head count, huh?" We're not, we're, we're not missing one. Who's the That looks like the son of God. This secular, heathen king knew what God looked like, was able to recognize God when he saw it. Isn't that amazing? So then he called and said, Ben, to go. come out. Isn't it amazing that God never rescued them from the fire? The person who put them in the fire was the one who brought them out. See, at God's table, you have everything you need to survive. David said, in the midst of everything going on, God has a table set for me. Now, we have this illustration. You saw them bringing it out. I want you to picture with me that all of your problems that are surrounding you, They're not going away, whether it's physical things or whether it's emotional things or just bad situations. In the midst of those, God says, come have a seat. I've prepared a place for you. In the midst, all the way around, everywhere you look, they're there. So much that they're looking and saying, why is he sitting down at a table? Doesn't he know we're trying to fight with him? He goes, and I prepared a place for you. See, because at God's table, everything you need to survive is there mentally. You're not going to go crazy. Emotionally, everything's going to work out all right. Physically, he won't give us more than we can handle. But here's the cool thing. At this table, he prepared with me. I'm not alone. He's sitting right here. And so I can turn and say, Jesus, Father, look at all of this stuff that's going on around me. Look at all this that's trying to overtake me. And can't you just see him go, just watch me. We're going to go through this together. You see, God's table is for you. Even surrounded by things and the situations of people, there's also someone else. The Bible talks about who's seeking and walking around. Who is that? The enemy. The enemy could just be the enemy, or it could be literal things that are trying to attack you and say, I don't like that he's sitting down at that table with God. The enemy says, you know what? I'm going to join you at this table. So you're sitting here trying to talk to God, and he tries to, steal your attention away from God to say, look at all this around you. Look at everything that's surrounding you. You're not going to make it. They're going to kill you. You're going to go under. It's not going to work. And what I just did when I entertained that is I now turned my back to God, ignoring the provision that he has for me. And now I'm listening to the enemy. God says, I've got a place prepared for you. But guess what? You are the only one who can choose which voice you listen to. This voice is telling you it's not going to work. So here's the, the crux of the whole thing. Don't give the enemy a seat at your table. Right? He's going to try and sit there, but you've got to say no. No. The seat is not available. You've got to move. So, real quickly, how do we know if we're listening to the voice of the enemy while we're sitting at the table of God? The enemy will come up here and say, don't look at this table, look at that table. Look at how much better they have it than you. Go over there. You need to move tables, because this one... You know, it's not, it's not everything. he also tell you, you're just not going to make it. There's no way. You're going to go down with this. You cannot survive this. But that didn't come from the shepherd who says, you are going through. The shepherd says, not only are you going to make it through this, but I'm going with you. Isn't that amazing? We're going to make it through together, regardless of what it looks like. It may be difficult. Now, there's the parts we don't like, right? We don't want to hear it's going to be difficult. We don't want to be in the middle of that fiery furnace, in the middle of that storm. But Jesus says, even though it may be difficult, there may be real pressure, just unbelievable things happening to you. I'm going to be with you in it. And he calls you to stay focused on him. Number three, the enemy tries to get you on. He'll tell you, you're not good enough. You're not worthy. Don't even think about God coming to help you. God isn't going to show up for you. He'll also tell you, no one even likes you. Everyone is against you. Do you know that today in America, people aren't sleeping good? Isn't that amazing? Ambien is now a household item, and everyone is taking Xanax. They're drinking to cope, or they have to leave the TV on to go to sleep. In 1942, 84% of Americans slept more than eight hours and had a good night's sleep and woke refreshed. Today, currently, it's down to 59%. And a lot of those are because they're getting help from these other drugs. Having drinking is on the rise in many parts of the United States, according to an NBC Health News poll, up more than 17% since 2005 alone. And the rates are rising faster among women than men. Isn't that amazing? But God says, I have a table prepared for you. Will you sit at it? Now look, Turn with me in your Bibles to John 10, verse 10. You with me? The thief comes to steal, heal, and destroy. That's what we were just talking about. He doesn't want you setting this table focused on God, focused on Jesus. But Jesus says, I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And what's the next verse? What's the next words? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. We have a good shepherd who will make us to lie down in green pastures. He will lead us in the right ways we need to go beside quiet waters. Man, as I was writing all this down and working on this and thinking about people aren't sleeping and taking all these drugs and and alcohol and, you know, all these things that distract them and difficult times that they're going through. And then I hear green pastures, quiet waters. I'm like, doesn't that just make you want to sleep right there? I mean, it's just like, ah. But in the midst of your enemies, in the middle of your problems, God said, there's a refuge for you, this table that is setting here. Even if I have to go through the fire, God will be there with me. Even when I'm surrounded by all these situations and problems, God is who is sitting with me at my table. The king saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with the Son of God. Where? He prepared a table for them in the middle of the fiery furnace. Isn't that amazing? i would never seen that before. God never got them out of the fire. He just joined them in it. Circle back now with me to John 16, verse 31. We started off with this. Jesus asked the disciples, do you finally believe? Isn't it amazing? Isn't it comforting? Isn't it like just so empowering that the disciples were with Jesus for years and they still didn't believe? It took them a while, and then after a couple of years it says, and then they believed. Here Jesus is asking them, did you finally believe the time is coming? Indeed it is here now when you will be scattered. That doesn't sound like fun, does it? That kind of sounds like a storm. Each one going his own way. And you're going to leave me alone. Isn't that what happened? They came and drug him out, and everyone was left alone. Jesus was left alone. Yet, I am not alone, because the Father is with me. So when Jesus is going to the cross, Father God had prepared a place for Jesus. And he goes, Son, I'm with you. And can't you hear Jesus crying out, if there's any way I cannot do that. Not my will, but your will. He goes, I'm with you. God is with Jesus. Even making the sacrifice that we can go. Verse 33. I have told you all of this. So that. Those words are so amazing. So that you may have peace in me. Here on the earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. We opened with that part saying, you're going to have trouble, you're going to have struggles. But Jesus says, I've told you all of this so that you can have peace. by sitting at his table, by focusing on the Father and listening to what the Father, the Good Shepherd, is saying, where he says, calm down. Let's go take a nap. Let's go to the green pastures. Let's go sit by the water. Let's just take a moment out and not be moved. You know, even as I was preparing this last night, and as excited as I was that I didn't even sleep, I'm serious, I don't think I slept even two minutes. It doesn't matter how many people are here today to hear this message, because what I really felt God burdened me on my heart is that this message, and the message is what we do every week, isn't just for the number of people that are in this room. But if you will allow me, indulge me this, to say it this way, this is a shareable size message. Like when you go to Applebee's or Chili's and you get an appetizer and you get the one that's just for you or you get the one that's shareable. What I believe God is saying is what we're finding out, what we're listening to, what we're hearing the word that God is preparing for us every week. It isn't just to sit in here and go, that's nice. Okay, they, I've heard that before. Oh, that's a new twist to that. Oh, that's a great little well, note. And then you walk out of here, and that's it. But it is for you to take to those you've come in contact with this week. I was talking to someone yesterday at Jerry's memorial service who was talking about the difficulty of life. And I want to just be able to share everything that's here. Because people are having difficulty in life. People you're going to run across, people you may work with, people you're going to come in contact with at the most crazy places need a God who's prepared a place for them in the midst of their storm. Because we're all either what? in a storm, just got out of a storm, or there's one coming. So I want us to bear in mind that while it's awesome to know that I have a God who's prepared a place for me, I need to share that same God with those people around us. Not about building Church on the Rock Dallas, not about building anything here, It's not about one more seat being filled here. It is about people's lives being changed. Let's pray. Father God, the fullness of what you showed me is so bubbling up inside of me and I did my best to convey it. Lord, I pray that you will help us to understand that table that you've prepared for us, that you've laid out there, that you've went through intentionality for us, that we can just come to you and stay focused on you, even in the midst of fire and storms and difficulty, being surrounded. Lord, I thank you that we're able to share this with the people who are crying out and asking if there's really a God. The people who think that you're a superman God, and you're just going to keep us from having struggles. But that they need to see us going through a storm and seeing that it's you who's sitting at the table with us. Like King Nebuchadnezzar saw that you were in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That changed that country because of the storm that you didn't rescue them out of, but you were with them in the middle of. While this isn't the most fun thing to hear, it's so exciting to know that you're always with me and that you're for me. Lord, we give you this day, we give you all the intentionality that we have in this room today, preparing a place, sowing seeds into the ground that is Plano, holy God, watering that soil that is this area. And Lord, I thank you for the worship that went up to you today in this place. We give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.